You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hey, I'm Steve Englehart, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi there, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. What we have here today is the third interview with Steve Englehart. You may have already heard the interviews with him where we talk about Fantastic Four and Silver Surfer. This time around, we're going to be talking about Doctor Strange. And Steve is a, is a really great guy. He loves talking about his career and, and, uh, and his work with Marvel Comics. And that just benefits us because we want to know all of this history as well. Uh, so be sure to check out his website, steveinglehart.com, because he's got a lot of information up there that you might be interested in as well. And you can always check out our companion episode to this interview, which is Doctor Strange Episode 3, A Separate Reality. If you're listening to this on our Patreon site, we thank you for being a supporter. Um, supporting us at $5 gets you access to a lot of exclusive interviews, and it just helps us keep our, our podcasts up and running. If you're listening to this through our regular stream, that means that this interview has been up for a while on Patreon, and you might want to check out some of the other exclusive interviews. They stay up there for a few months before they make their way to the regular stream. So, uh, yeah, you'll... I recommend checking it out because they're great. A lot of amazing Marvel creators, artists, and writers are the people that we're talking to, and you'll want to check them all out. So that's enough from me. I'm going to turn it over to uh, my conversation with Steve Englehart. I hope you enjoy it. You were writing a few titles for Marvel at the time already. You were on like Captain America, Avengers, and the Hulk, I think. And uh, what brought you to my Marvel premiere with Doctor Strange? Uh, basically, Frank Brunner. Um, he had, they had, okay, they had brought back Doctor Strange as part of Marvel premiere. Um, and the first issue was done by Stan Lee and Barry Windsor Smith. And it was a beautiful job by Barry Windsor Smith, and it was Stan's last script for, like, regular comics. And I always thought it was a very bizarre book because there's this beautiful, intricate artwork and a pretty breezy (laughs) (laughs) script over the top of it. So, okay, after that, then they gave it to Gardner Fox. Um, Roy had an affection as do i you know and uh, for the people who came before us um i must say at the time i thought maybe gardner had had sort of lost a step but roy gave him dr strange and uh, i think there were i can't remember whether brunner started on it immediately but brunner got on to it and he was not thrilled with gardner fox's work and so apparently he went to Roy and he said, you know, I would really like to have Steve Englehart write this thing. 
um, we were all young, Brunner and I and Starlin and other people were all young guys working side by side in the comic book industry, you know, making our way in New York, et right. cetera, at the time. So Brunner knew my stuff. I hadn't done anything with him, but he knew my stuff. And apparently he requested me specifically. So they came to me and said, like, you'd write this book. And as you said, I was writing, I had a full complement of books. I was doing four books a month, um, the ones you mentioned. And I might have been still doing Luke Cage, and I might have been doing, I don't remember, but I had a full slate. I think the Defenders around that time as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I looked at it and I said, well, okay, it's a bi-monthly book, which means we counted them as like half a book then per month. Uh, So could I go from four to four and a half? And I decided, A, that I could, and B, that I wanted to, because I did like Doctor Strange and and was interested in working with Brunner and and all that good stuff. So um, that's how I got there. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. So, uh, And Doctor Strange is a very different book than the other ones. Was that something that drew you to it as well? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to write that many books, at least for me, I didn't want to write the same book four times every month, you know, I mean, and, and, and which is to say I didn't want to write Captain America and then a Captain America like book and then a Captain America like book. I wanted each one to be different. And, and so the Avengers was a change and the Hulk was a change and Luke Cage was a change. I mean, they were all they all had their distinct identities. And, and but I had written Don strange in the defenders and um as part of that non-group um he was essentially a superhero who did magical stuff i mean he was not so much a magician as he was part of a superhero team um and that was fine i liked i liked the defenders quite a lot and and really enjoyed doing it but i thought okay if this book is about him specifically, then that would be a chance to, to go a place I hadn't gone yet, which was into the magic end of things, you know, see if I could, uh, what it would be like to write a sorcerer Supreme. So, um, I was, I was, that was part of the appeal, right? And did you find that a challenge? Mm, Well, in a sense, I mean, not, not a challenge in that, gosh, how am I going to do this? I kind of knew what I had to do, which was learn something about magic, you know? Yeah. I mean, so um, I went, uh, there was a, there were a number of occult bookstores in New York, as one might imagine. Uh, one of them, Wiser's, had been there for years. It was a legendary, if you know, to people who knew about that stuff, which I didn't at the time. But, I mean, uh, it was... Uh, there was that, there was a place called the magical child. There were, you know, random other stores. And then living out in California, there were several occult bookstores, um, in Berkeley and then, and then more in San Francisco. So I had the opportunity and this was also an occult boom. I mean, there was a time, the seventies being a time of mind expansion and all that kind of stuff. Um, there were a lot you know, there, there were more occult bookstores than there are today. There were more occult books being published than there were today. So I kind of walked right into the middle of um, a time when magic was pretty readily available to be studied. So, you know, I went and, and you know, bought books on tarot and astrology and, and, and Kabbalah and all that sort of thing. 
um, and just started reading and found that, you know, I thought, thought found it to be an interesting subject. And so I was trying to just sort of understand that sort of stuff so that I could extrapolate to, to be the Sorcerer Supreme. I mean, to write the book, to write Doctor Strange, I kind of had to think like the Sorcerer Supreme. And of course, you know, buying a book and reading it doesn't make you the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, um, you know, I, just in following the logic of it, you know, following the history of it, following the ambiance of it, um, certainly I was able to craft a much more credible Sorcerer Supreme than if I hadn't done any of that stuff, you know? Right, right. Well, and one of the things you did right off the bat uh, was make Doctor Strange the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah. What What was your decision to elevate him to that status? There were things throughout my, you know, time at Marvel and DC for that matter, but where it seemed like plot lines had sort of stalled out, um, you know, and then I got on board and I, I probably said in the last podcast that I don't like to just sort of walk in and go, wow, I'm here now. Everything's different. Um, because it's me, but I thought, okay, he's been the apprentice for years and years and years now. So it would be nice if he showed some, of course. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, you know, when I say I don't want everything, I don't want to walk in and change everything. I don't want to like suddenly, you know, have him move to Cleveland and become a car dealer. But I, but I, you know, <laughs> if I can take something that's there and move it one step forward, that's good, you know. And and if I think he should be six steps forward, then I might take six issues to do that. But I'm always interested in the journey rather than just you know the results. So anyway, uh, I thought time for him to to move up in the ranks. Mm-hmm. And and the ancient one, you know, the ancient one had been around for a long time, but. All he did was be the ancient one. I mean, he he. There had been some really nice stories during the Ditko days, you know, where the ancient one was actually a, an action figure. But but generally he wasn't. So I thought, well, we won't we won't be too upset if he if he, if he goes away. And yeah. then and then of course he didn't really go away. He just became one with the universe. So you know. right. Well, and yeah, and talk about giving him something to do. He gets to fight eternity. <laughs> so yeah, like that's yeah. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, so in in these early issues with Frank Brenner, you you and he get the co-plotter credit, like you credit yourselves right. together. Can you tell me right. a little bit about your um, the way you guys work together? Yeah, well, again, Brenner had his own sense of what he wanted to do. I mean, part of that was asking for you know what he considered a better writer um, to kind of be able to do that kind of thing. Um, Gardner Fox, again, had been doing a lot of Lovecraft and, and Robert E. Howard kind of takeoffs, um, and that didn't satisfy Frank. So he wanted to um, get some of his ideas into print, but he's not a writer, which then he asked for one, and then and then we worked uh, together. Basically, every time it was time to do an issue, um, he and I would get together uh, I lived up in Connecticut at that time, and he lived um, in New York, in Manhattan. Um, and so either we'd go to his place or we'd go to my place. Um, um, there was some dinner, I'm sure, involved in there. And we would just sit down, and, and, you know, he would say, 
here's things that I'd kind of like to do in this issue. And I'd go, well, here's things I've thought of I'd like to do in this issue. And then we would kind of like um, talk them through. And I, as the writer, it was my responsibility to um, turn all that into a coherent narrative. Um, but uh, that's what we did. We, you know, and I think quite often we came up with something that was more than the sum of its parts by the time, you know, I was taking my ideas and his ideas and trying to put them together and, and he was jumping in and all that kind of stuff. So I definitely, you know, I've, I've always, always said and definitely felt always that uh, we were co-plotters on that stuff. Usually the writer writes and the artist draws and, and so forth. And, and so there haven't been a lot of times in my career when I've thought we both deserve the writing credit. Um, but definitely in, in Dr. Strange's case, we did. Wow. Or not the writing credit, but the co-plotting credit. Well, that's neat, yeah. Frank Brunner as an artist, he's quite remarkable. Um, yeah. Did you find him uh, his art easy to, to, uh, to script afterwards? Yeah. Um, he was, you know, Frank did have a, a unique style, uh, does have a unique style. Mm -hmm. um, and I like unique styles. Yeah. Um, it's, um, again, it's hard to remember what I said in the previous podcast. And anybody who's listening to this probably doesn't remember what I said anyway. But uh, <laughs> um, I remember, you know, I, well, I started out, you know, I started out wanting to be an artist and it and ended up going down the writing road. But I always, when I, when I write, I can visualize how it would look on the page, which I think is a useful skill because then I'm not asking anybody to draw something that can't be drawn. But I never expected what I visualized to be what ended up on the page because that was up to the artist. And so it was always fun for me to see how um, these guys would take the ideas and what they would do with them. And mm -hmm. so Brunner being, you know, a, a reasonably unique uh, artist, um, you know, I thought Dr. Strange looked great. I was, I was quite psyched with what he was doing. One of the uh, my favorite story of yours is just the two issues that you'd have with um, Sisseneg. 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 <laughs> That's what we say. Sisseneg. Okay. Sisseneg. Yeah. Perfect. Um, that is just a brilliant, mind-blowing story, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your thought process into that. Um, I think it developed over time. Um, uh, you know, the idea we wanted to do something with Baron Mordo. Um, he's part of the, part of the Dr. Strange team. He had to be in there. And, um, it led to the, I mean, it was just ideas leading one to another. I don't think I could give you a blow by blow, but, but yeah. the idea of this guy, this, this sorcerer going back in time, um, was the first part of it. But then the idea that you could go all the way back to the beginning of time. I mean, I do remember that it came as a revelation to me when I, you know, when I said, you know, if he goes all the way back to the beginning of time, then who would he be? Right, you know exactly. I mean? <laughs> right. So that sounded sufficiently cosmic for the for the kind of book we were trying to do. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, that was um, that leads to the reasonably well-known story about me and the, and the letter to Stan, which I should probably relate, which sure. was, yep. 
we didn't have any editorial oversight. I mean, I mean, we had oversight, but no interference, really. I mean, everything you wanted to do, if it would sell and you turned it in on time, you could do it. Nevertheless, there were things that Stan, um, coming from an earlier era, if I may say, but I mean, he, you know, he, he had a pretty good mass market, at least the mass market through the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Whether that was still the mass market in the 70s was debatable. And we heard from New York that Stan might want to put a note in a future issue of Doctor Strange saying, that wasn't really God, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, right? Just not to um, offend any of the, the yeah, Christians out there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know? And so being young creative guys you know making our way in the industry we and and given create creative freedom we weren't anxious to have anybody say anything that would impinge upon that um so this was happening right around christmas time and i live in california but i was going to indiana where my family was and is for christmas and i was going to change planes in dallas so i wrote a letter dear mr lee you know want to thank you so much for this beautiful issue you know that so inspiring you know whatever and signed it by being signed it as some reverend <laughs> yeah <laughs> with an with an address in dallas and then i dropped it in the mailbox when i was in dallas and and uh, according to New York, Stan got this letter and thought, oh, good, well, people like this. And then that was the end of that. <laughs> okay, <So. yeah. laughs> wow. And and when did the, that secret come out? Well, uh, I don't know. It's been a long time now. It didn't come out immediately. Yeah. Um, and, of course, since it, you know, uh, I have no. I've, I haven't asked Stan. I, I assume I assume Stan knows the story by now, but I've never asked him what you know what he thought about the whole thing. But but he, as I say, by that time, even though he was still the editor in chief, he was really ninety eight percent out the door, and and fairly soon thereafter, he went completely out the door and went to Los Angeles and started you know building what has now become the Marvel Empire right. um, out there. So uh, he, you know, I didn't have to, like, avoid him in the hall or right, anything right. like that. You know? It wasn't a huge deal. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, what caused Doctor Strange to leap from Marvel premiere to his own title at the time? He just... Sales. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it was. it became a very popular book. You can tell how popular books are by, you know... If they're bi-monthly, they're not as popular as monthly books. Um, but Doctor Str or Marvel Premiere was bi-monthly, but they stuck an extra issue into it and in the summertime, you know, to get an extra revenue stream. And that's when we learned that Frank was not that fast. I mean, Frank could draw a bi-monthly book, and you can look at some of those issues and see that he didn't quite even finish some of those issues and had to have help, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a very painstaking guy to get that kind of um, uh, artistic detail and so forth. So when they put an extra issue in there, we had to do a reprint, basically, because um, he, you know, he couldn't do it. So then, but the book was selling better. It, so they turned it into Doctor Strange, which was still bi-monthly. But then they put an extra month in there, and we had to do a reprint. Um, and then they wanted it to be monthly, 
and that's when Frank dropped off of it, right? Um, Because he just couldn't keep up. Yeah, and that was, you know, that was too bad. Yeah, Um, yeah. But he was, but he just could not draw a monthly book. And, you know, time and tide wait for nobody if sales dictated. So Marvel, you know, Marvel wanted Doctor Strange to be monthly. And, and, um, so Frank, Frank had to drop off. Um, the, the upside of that was, Gene Colan dropped on, you know. I mean, right. Well, that, yeah. It's, it's like, sorry, Frank. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. And Frank, you know, uh, Frank and I are, are, yeah. I mean, we're still we're still buddies and 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 uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, and then, but what the transition for me was, um, I was no longer co-plotting that book. I, you know, it, it fell upon me then to completely plot something oh, yeah. that did not. Um, you know that didn't drop off in quality. I mean, I had to, I had to, to take the whole thing and then and and keep it, hopefully as you know as good as before. And and it was interesting to me again as somebody who appreciates art. I mean, Brunner's stuff was Brunner. I mean, there's no nobody looks like him. Um, you could say that about Colin too. But the thing about Colin was he was more photographic. He, you know, I mean, he had that wonderful sense of of reality which was an interesting thing to add to a book which had become that magical. Um, um, and so doing, you know, it kind of became the reality of the magic um, more than the magic of the magic, shall we say, that was, that was Brunner's stock and trade. So the, the, the change in artists changed the art um, and changed the people co-plotting the book uh, to somebody who was only planning the book. Um, but it was my responsibility as I saw it to make sure that it was all seamless and, and, and you could just, you could keep going. I mean, there's definitely an artistic break, but hopefully the, the story of Dr. Strange, um, continued right along. And of course, by, I was continuing to learn more and understand better about the, the magical worldview. And so that was also building as we went forward. Yeah, well, I like the. I think the the transition was pretty seamless. Um, it still seems like a singular voice, and the and a lot of the themes that you worked on with Brunner carry forward through uh, through the rest of your run with with Doctor Strange too. And I think of um, sort of the restructuring of of time <laughs> is a lot mm-hmm. of uh, is something that you kind of constantly come back to through uh, through your run here and. Um, um, and even just like the birth and rebirth of of life itself is something that you, yeah, is a theme that you go in all of your writing with you know with celestial Madonna and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I was you know, uh, I was particularly struck. I mean, there was a lot of stuff I liked with Colin, but I think you just touched on the one where the world gets destroyed. Yeah, yep, <laughs> and then and then rebuilt. Um, that was another idea uh, that I really you know there's been a zillion stories where the world is about to get destroyed, but we always save the world. And, but with Dr. Strange, I thought, why can't we destroy the world? And then, (laughs) you know, and then, and then rebuild it. And that was, that was interesting because I only looked at it, you know, from a Dr. Strange standpoint and, and, um, you know, I, I then recreated the world exactly as it had been before so that nobody knew, 
that anything had happened except for Doctor Strange, which I thought was kind of a cool <laughs> idea, right. right? I mean, he's got to live with this idea that that he saw the world destroyed and all those people die, and yet they're all still here and they don't know it, and so on and so forth. But then I, you know, I did get feedback from from other writers going. So you killed my Spider-Man, <laughs> and, now it's, and now it's a different Spider-Man. Um, so that I hadn't thought about that part, but um, <laughs> but if Peter Parker does know, then what difference does it make? Well, exactly. so, yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> that's so funny. But that, but that, you know, not only was that, I think, if I may say, I thought that was a cool idea, but it was gorgeous artwork. I mean, Gene Colan yeah. doing that kind of stuff. I mean, Eternity and and all that. Yeah, um, you it's know, just so, incredible. Yeah. Um, you also gave Clea kind of more of a starring role. Yeah, that's just me. I tend to, you know, think I was, you know, I'm a liberal, right? So, I mean, I get Captain America and the Falcon, and I start to think, why isn't the Falcon bigger? You know, if I get, you know, I mean, the, it goes back. Um, when I took over the Avengers, I was told that Wanda... Wanda's deal was she could do a hex and then she'd be exhausted and she'd fall down. And I, <laughs> and I said, well, she's an Avenger, you know? I mean, I, the whole male-female thing or, you know, whatever, uh, I never could understand. I'm just, I'm just one of those people who doesn't understand why women, you know, don't get the same benefits and everything else as men. I mean, what's, what's the deal? Right. And, 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 and particularly with Avengers, I thought, you know, come on, she's an Avenger. What kind of Avenger falls down? Uh, you know, so I made her first thing I did really. in, in, in when I took over the Avengers was to make her more of a, of a player. And that just sort of comes out everywhere. And so, you know, Clea, all right, she's, she's Dr. Strange's girlfriend and, but she's an alien princess and, you know, she's got all this other stuff going on and, so let's let's do more with her, and um, that was that was still playing out at the end with Ben Franklin when I you know when I when I left the book. But yeah, I mean one of the things that um, when I was reading through the the Gardner Fox stories is like she is just there, and she's mm -hmm. she's pretty much just chasing Doctor Strange the entire time and doesn't have any purpose that like you could take it right out of the book and it wouldn't even matter. So mm -hmm. it was really great to see not only her, her having more of a, of a prominent role, but getting her backstory and like meeting her father and going to her house in the, in the dark dimension. And, uh, like that was, it's just like, thanks for, for thinking of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, you're, you're, trying to come up with a with a story every month and um i mean i was learning a lot about dr strange and magic but certainly he didn't have much of a supporting cast but that's yeah. what they're there for is to is uh, to be used i think you know totally so. tell me a little bit about the uh, the team up with uh, tomb of dracula I, I think it was not Marv's idea. I think it was like Roy's idea or, you know, whoever was in charge of editorial at that point in time. For all I know, it was Marv who was in charge of editorial. But um, I just, I remember, you know, Marv came and said, you know, uh, Gene is drawing both of these books and it would be nice to do a crossover. And I'm like, sure, I, I can see that. Um and I forget, again, you know, whose idea it was, but we came to the idea that at the end of each of our books, we would kill the other guy's character. <laughs> uh, 
So, um, you know, I killed Dracula and he killed Doctor Strange. But amazingly enough, they both uh, recovered from that. Imagine that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but that was, you know, that was just a sort of an... Um, I wouldn't say necessarily an homage to Gene, but it was definitely part of the concept that like, you know, Gene draws both of these books. It'd be fun to, to let him, you know, mingle them. Um, and it's always a pleasure to work with Marv. So, you know, yeah. At the end of your time in Dr. Strange, you did a, a, a time travel story. All right. And, um, but why, uh, what were the events that led up to you leaving the book here? Well, that's, you know, that's a story uh, that I can tell you in brief. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, I've told it a zillion times and I'm, uh, it's, it involves personalities and I hate yeah. to keep banging on them. But, um, um, I was doing that in Dr. Strange and I was doing every, you know, all the other stuff I was doing and there was an editorial change and the guy who came in decided that he wanted to write, the Avengers and the Defenders. So he just took them from me and Steve Gerber, who was writing the Defenders at the time. And I didn't feel that that was appropriate. Um, wasn't, you know, wasn't the way I, I mean, I'd been at Marvel for all of like three or four years at that point. So, I mean, what did I know? But I, I, the Marvel that I had been a part of, that wasn't acceptable playground behavior, you know? So, um, I said, screw this. And, 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 and quit Marvel. Um, and so all those books that were in, you know, wherever they were, that was, that was, that's where I stopped writing them. Yeah. It did um, seem like kind of an abrupt end to your time there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was only two thirds of the way, two thirds of the way through that whole, um, 1776 thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, it, because it was, it was the summer of 17, 1976. And, and, um, there was a lot of bicentennial, hoopla going on everywhere and so um uh, that was my concept for dr strange to go back because there's there is a an occult history of the united states i mean not just that the masons were running everything but i mean there's there's stories about mysterious men appearing and all and i thought well that's cool let's you know let's let's do a story involving that stuff uh that was coming out of the books i was reading right you know so mm -hmm. um so that's what i did we went back and then um, along the way, I saw that Ben Franklin was a well-known ladies' man, and again, we were talking about Clea, and I thought, well, you know, Doc has been ignoring her, and Ben is a he's he's a good ladies' man, and so maybe so, you know, what the hell? Um, and the nice thing was, Gene was drawing, so we got a very credible Ben Franklin. It really was, yes, <laughs> yeah, you know, so um, so there you were, and I they'd gone back in time, and and they were gonna, I mean, the the idea. I've said before, you know, I, I sort of plot things a lot on the fly, but I knew that the ending of this was they were going to come back to 1976 and find that this wizard, Stigero, um, was still there because he drew on patriotism was kind of my idea. I don't know if I would have, um, you know, smoothed that out over time or whatever, but, but that was where it was going to end. But all of a sudden, boom, you know, um, uh, I, you know, I just left and, and then it fell to poor Marv. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> here, here's, here you are in the middle of a story that you, that, that you don't even know what the ending is and, you know, wrap that one up. So, 
um, you know, I think they took some story that they'd had lying in a drawer and kind of added a few words about, yeah, and, yeah, and that other story ended. And then, and then, you know, <laughs> yeah, and then they went on. Um, so it was, you know, I mean, but that was, I, you know, I was, I don't know that I would do it any differently today, but certainly being young and all that, um, I just said, screw it. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm done with this shit. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and, uh, so that's but that opened that's what up happened. the opportunity to write Justice League. So you can't uh, that, you know, it wasn't all bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had when I quit, I, I, I screw it with all this stuff. But then DC called me up. And then so, yeah, there came Justice League and Batman and all that. So, right. Um, it, it's a funny world. But um, I, you know, all things being equal, if things had stayed the same, um I probably would have continued to write those books and would never have, have, I certainly wouldn't have gone to DC, but I, you know, I wouldn't have even probably taken a break or anything, you know I mean? I, um, I'd now be entering my, my, you know, 40th year of writing Dr. Strange or something, <laughs> but, uh, that's, can you imagine I think that's unlikely that doesn't work that way, but, yeah. uh, you know, but anyway, that was just, that was the deal. So, well. um, all my books ended abruptly at that point, and yeah. at least my storylines. They still came out the next month. Okay, one one last question here. Um, the the caterpillar Agamotto, the caterpillar. Mm. Why, why is he a caterpillar? Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, uh, like the it definitely it's obvious that that's the the uh, um, illusion there. Brother and I were both. You know, this was back in the days when if you wanted to see a Disney movie that wasn't currently playing, you had a hard time of it. I mean, they weren't, there was no, you know, torrents to download it. There was no places you could go rent it. Right. Um, and, but we both really liked the Disney, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And then lo and behold, a drive-in theater, uh, in our bioregion decided to show it along with, I think, Herbie the Love Bug, something like that. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was like you know one of an official Disney re-release, whatever. But um, so um, I know Frank had his wife Jan with him. I don't remember whether I had my girlfriend with me or not. But the, but at least some of us went over, sat in a car, and and watched Alice in Wonderland. Um, and then we sat through might have been flubber it was some nonsense disney thing but you know whatever the co whatever the co-star was yeah. co-movie was we sat through that so that we could see alice in wonderland the second time when they ran it you know again oh. um you know the way driving you know the way theaters do yeah so we sat there through that whole thing and then alice started again and after the first reel it went directly to the last reel oh um and, <laughs> and we I went back and I said, what? And the guy said, we want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, good thing you caught it that first time. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't see the middle of it the second time. But, um, I mean, so, I mean, we knew it. I mean, we'd watched it as kids and it had been on, you know, the wonderful world of Disney now and again or whatever. Yeah. I mean, um, the way you know that kind of stuff. Um, but seeing it again, that was, you know, yeah, that was all part and parcel yeah. of like, let's do that now, you know? Totally. So, so, wow. So we, we were, we were very clear about the Alice, uh, illusions. Yeah. 
We're big, <laughs> big fans. Wow. Well, looking back on your time on Doctor Strange, what was the highlight for you? It's, I don't know that there was one. I mean, we've, we've touched on, I, you know, in the Brunner era, um, I think the Susan Egg Genesis would have been the highlight. I, I liked Silver Dagger later um, a lot. But the Sisonic Genesis thing was just really fun. And then in the colon era, I, I think the end of the world and the resurrection and eternity and all that kind of stuff yeah. would be that would be the highlights. Um, but again, I, you know, I've always sort of felt, you know, I mean, it's sort of my job to make sure that every issue is a highlight in that sense. You know what I mean? It's like, because right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to entertain you guys and, you know, and I, I'm not just doing this as an intellectual exercise and part of part of the job is that it's a job and you're supposed to actually do what you're supposed to do. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to kind of say well, this is better than that or whatever. Cause I was, you know, I mean, I'll expand on that a little bit. I mean, obviously you do issues that build to a climax. So maybe the ones that are building are not quite as fabulous as the ones with the climaxes, but I mean, you're trying, you know, you're trying to build to a climax. So right. you're trying to do a good, a good building block along the way, whatever. Anyway, that's, that's all inside baseball kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Well, I think readers today, especially with the, the Ben tour graphic novels, understand the, the building. You get those first few issues that are just kind of ramping up to things. I think, mm -hmm. I think people get mm -hmm. that more than maybe more than they, they did in the seventies. Yeah. Well, pe of course people today can, easily read them as graphic albums too which yeah. was not the case back then you were still doing it month by month right so. yeah yeah well well thanks steve this is uh this is fascinating I, I your um so this was my first time reading your doctor strange and it was just a blast i had a great time well thank you <laughs> yeah it was fun that's why i did it <laughs> <laughs> 